Welcome to Wednesday Night at Faith Assembly, featuring the ministry of Senior Pastor Phil Goss. We're glad you've joined us. Well, we welcome you tonight. Thanks so much for being here. If you didn't get a copy of the notes, they're available to you. These uh, good-looking ushers who are standing in the aisle have some, and we'll be glad to bring you one. If you'll just slip your hand up and raise it uh, for them, just keep it up, and they'll bring that to you. I want to uh, just very briefly, uh, by using the book of James, the first chapter in the book of James, uh, share with you a a couple of thoughts that hopefully will be beneficial to you during times when appearances can be deceiving. I I normally, when I uh, talk about something like this, I, I have a little exercise, we won't do it tonight, where I give a bunch of people in the room and they're sworn to secrecy so they don't say anything because if you talk about it, the whole surprise goes away. But I give everybody a little card that has a picture on it. And then I tell everybody, acting out whatever is on your card, if it's a bird, flap your wings or whatever, acting out what your card says you are, you start doing that and start looking for other people like you and congregate with them. And after about four or five minutes of everybody flapping their arms or hopping up and down and whatever, not saying anything, they wind up in a couple of different piles of people. And then I say to them, now I want you to take your card and turn it over and show everybody in your group what you are. And here's what happens. All of the people who are flapping their wings, who thought they were a bird, find out that some of them are birds, some of them are bats, some of them are are butterflies. They're all flapping their wings, but they're not the same, and appearances can be deceiving. Others are hopping all around the room, only to find as they turn their card over and show it to others, well, he's a bunny rabbit, and he's a kangaroo, and we're not the same. Appearances can be deceiving. And in life, appearances can be deceiving, can't they? People can deceive us by the way that they look or the things that they say. They're not who they say that they are. And all sorts of things can be deceiving. Things are not always as they appear. But here's the thing. As we walk through this world as believers in Jesus, we can know the truth that sets us free because there are things that are exactly what they appear to be, though they may be different than how the world sees them. We're going to just very briefly go through the first chapter in James and take a look at some of the things that appear to be so by worldly wisdom, but God says something different. And if we'll live by God's way, the way God talks about those, we will find the joy and the fulfillment and the freedom that comes in that. Dallas Willard, he's a theologian, has said, the gospel is less about how to get into the kingdom of heaven after you die and more about how to live in the kingdom of heaven before you die. You can have heaven here on earth living for the kingdom of God, but you have to know what God's truth is and not what appears. So let's very quickly go through James 1. It's written to believers. It's written to believers, but, but the principles are true for everybody because they're God's principles. So let's just go through them one at a time. Things aren't what they appear to be when it appears that God has let you down. Or, put another way, when it appears that God has not met your expectations— Well, what does the Bible say about that? How many of you have ever been disappointed in God? Come on. This is, look, this is me. How many of you have been disappointed in God? We do. We get disappointed in God because it seems like God ought to be doing certain things or something ought to be happening, right? And so we can be disappointed. You won't go to hell for being disappointed in God. We're disappointed because our expectations are not met. Think of James saying the answer to that this way. 
You're looking at it the wrong way. Verse number two, dear brothers and sisters, when troubles, and I'll put disappointments, of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. Now, if we just stayed there, okay. But he goes on to give clarity to it. In verse three, he says, for you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, listen to this. This is for you tonight. When your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete and needing nothing. Spiritually speaking, how many of you would like to be that guy or that girl? Yeah. Here's the, here's the thing. Appearances can be deceiving. God, will set, God, will, God doesn't make all of the trials and troubles in your life. That's something we'll talk about in a second. But he will always use them as a catalyst to help you grow in your endurance and in your spiritual walk. That's why he allows it to happen. Seems like he's not there. Seems like he's let you down. Seems sometimes like he did that to you. But the truth of the matter is that trials that are allowed in a believer's life are, are allowed by God for the purpose, it says it right here, of helping you to grow and be perfected. Now, here's a trick question. How many of you want to grow and be perfected? Because <laughs> you got to go through the trials. It doesn't seem like it should be that way, but that's the way it is. I want to be changed. I gave my life to Jesus with the intention that I wanted to become more and more like him. And I want to allow him to change me, but I don't want it to hurt. But the fact of the matter is a vital living faith is required by God and trials serve as the stimulus and the catalyst for that kind of faith. Friends, we have to go through them. We need to go through them because even though it appears that those are bad things, in God's economy, in God's kingdom, he uses them for good. James encourages us, in fact, to embrace our trials, to count it all joy when we have those trials, not for what they are, but for what God can accomplish through them. Does that make it a little bit easier to go through trial? Yes, because we understand that it is for a purpose and a reason, and that reason and purpose is good. Listen, God hasn't let you down. He's changing you into something better through the trials that he allows. Number two, things aren't always as they appear when it appears the truth can be found in many places and many people. How many have been on the internet lately? Is there truth on the internet? Yeah, it's somewhere in there. I don't know. But there's a lot of stuff that isn't, right? So, so people who go looking for truth, they'll read this stuff. And honest to goodness, our daughter, uh, she, I don't want to say she's a hypochondriac, but you know, some little pain, she'll read and she'll find all the horrible things that, you know, that little pain can mean. And suddenly she's in a tizzy. But it's not truth. It's simply a lot of information and some of it isn't even real. The internet, is it true? Doesn't it lead to suspicion and division and misinformation? Yeah. How about the advice that you get sometimes from a neighbor or even a mechanic? Is that always true? No. And yet, when it comes to spiritual things, we often go looking to people. Oprah, love you. But Oprah is not a source of truth. But we will go because it sounds good and she's a nice person and she's all spiritual. And here's what James has to say. 
because there's only one source, real source of truth, of spiritual truth. Verse number five, if you need wisdom about these things, and in fact, he's talking about if you need wisdom about the issue of counting your trials as joy, he's linking back to that. But if you need wisdom about that, if you need to understand it and know the truth about it, ask our generous God. And guess what? He will give it to you. He won't rebuke you for asking, but when you ask him, be sure that your faith, faith that is wisdom is right and true and beneficial for you, be sure that your faith is in God alone. Don't ask God and then go look somewhere else while you're at it. God doesn't, listen, God doesn't mind you asking questions. God doesn't even mind you asking questions in doubt so that you can get the answers. All he wants you to do, and it says so right here, is to ask him, consult him. Don't go looking elsewhere. And God promises he will give it to you. It is in God alone. Do not waver, for a person with a divided loyalty is as unsettled as a wave of the sea that is blown and tossed by the wind. Such people should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Their loyalty is divided between God and the world, and they are unstable In everything they do, it seems like there's a lot of truth and a lot of wisdom out there in the world, but things are not always as they appear. If you want real wisdom, if you want real truth, God says, come to me and ask me, and I'll tell you. So accept that God is the source of truth and the one to whom we can and should go to get it. Now, the rest of the chapter is how a believer can live wisely because the Christian life is lived upside down from the way the rest of the world is. Jesus in Matthew 5, when we call it the Sermon on the Mount, he said, you've heard it said. And then he followed it up by, it says, but I say. He, he challenged conventional wisdom. This is the way it's supposed to be, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, love your enemies, do good to the right. It's upside down. That doesn't seem right. That doesn't seem like it's going to work. So the rest of this is upside down stuff to help us to find the wisdom that we need to see through the things that appear to be different. Number three, things aren't always as they appear when it appears that wealth is a good thing. How many of you don't want to hear this part? Yeah, me too. There are a few people, by the way, who have riches who don't come to trust in those riches more than God, right? If I just had the money, I could fix that. I'll... I'll, I'll go you one better because I've done this. I've even told God, you know, God, <laughs> the, the Powerball is really getting up there. Think of how many missionaries I could support and, and orphanages and children I could feed and all these things. And I've got it all planned out. I got it all planned out. And all God has to do is help me to get that run one winning ticket. And don't look at me like that because you've done that too a little bit, haven't you? Yep, yep, thank you for the few honest ones who are nodding. But so, so we see wealth as a good thing. And as a tool to accomplish good things for God, it is a, it is a good tool. The problem becomes when I place my trust in the money rather than in God. I'm not living in faith. And it's upside down for a believer, a Christ follower. Wealth appears to be a good thing, but in the upside down kingdom... It isn't. And here's what James says in verse 9. Believers who are poor have something to boast about, for God has honored them. That doesn't sound quite right yet, does it? Let's read on. 
And those who are rich should boast that God has humbled them. Why is that? Because they will fade away like a little flower in the field. The hot sun rises and the grass withers. The little flower droops and falls and its beauty fades away in the same way. The rich will fade away with all of their achievements. Don't you worry about Bill Gates. Don't you worry about Jeff Bezos. It's not that they're bad people, but their wealth can't do for them what God wants to do for all of us. Wealth is not as good as we think that it is. How do you know that, Steve? Because Jesus told a story, or didn't tell a story, actually Jesus had an encounter with someone who's, in, who's called the rich young ruler, somebody who had a lot of wealth, and he said, hey Jesus, what do I ha- need to do to get into your kingdom? I've, I've kept the law, and I've done all these things, and I've done everything that I should, and Jesus said, well, Matthew 19, 21, it's in your notes, Jesus told him, if you want to be perfect, go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven, and then come and follow me. But when the young man heard this, he went away sad, for he had many possessions. Jesus said to his disciples, I tell you the truth, it's very hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. I'll say it again. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Can I stop there just for a moment and tell you what a wonder it is that anyone who's in this room and you're a believer in Jesus, it's a miracle that you are because we are in America wealthy compared to the rest of the world. And if you found Jesus and and he is Lord of your life, it's a miracle because it says right here, it's almost impossible. Just something so you could feel a little bit good about what God has done for you. Jesus looked at him and said, uh, the disciples said, then who in the world can be saved? If it's hard for rich people to be saved, then who in the world can be saved? Verse 26, Jesus looked at them intently and said, humanly speaking, it's impossible. But with God, everything is possible. And then Peter said to him, we've given up everything to follow you. What will we get? And Jesus replied, I assure you, that when the world is made new and the Son of Man sits upon his glorious throne, you who have been my followers will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And everyone who has given up houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or property for my sake will receive a hundred times as much in return and will inherit eternal life. Listen. There are things that are more important than money. And Jesus is saying, don't let money be important to you. It can't solve your problems. I visited people in the hospital today. Money can't solve their problems. So we have to, when it appears that money is a good thing, we are living in an upside down kingdom. Wealth isn't always a good thing. It's a tool and a necessary one. And it's not that Christians should be poor and in poverty and not have things. But we can't allow money to rule us and guide us. How do you know that, Steve? Because Jesus said, you can't serve God and money. Because either you will hate the one and cling to the other or serve one and defy the other. And what he said was, interestingly enough, he, said, he didn't say you may not. Steve, you may not serve God, money or me. It says you cannot. You can't. You can't do it. If you serve money... After a while, you will not 
serve Jesus because money will become your God. And so in an upside down world, when we think money is really, wealth is a really good thing, it's not, it's not. And so we have to keep it in proper perspective. Daily bread, yes. Enough to be generous and share, yes. But we can't serve God and money at the same time. Number four, gotta move quickly. Things aren't always as they appear when it appears that God is causing your problem. I can't tell you how many people I counsel who come in and say, God did this to me. And they really believe it because we feel like God's in control and if this happened, then he must have done it. And listen, when you feel that way, you have a misunderstanding of how God works in this world. So take a look at verse 12. God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation because afterward they will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. And remember, when you are being tempted, don't say God is tempting me. Steve, I'm struggling. God's tempting me. God's No, don't say that God is doing that. It says God is never tempted to do wrong and he never tempts anyone else. Temptation comes from our own desires which entice us and drag us away. And then these desires give birth to sinful actions. And when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. Here's what it says in the King James Version. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial because he has stood the test. He will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. When it says God blesses or that someone is blessed, it doesn't mean that God gives them stuff. How you, you Steve, how are, how, you know, how are things? Oh, I'm blessed. I'm blessed. I got two cars in the driveway. I got clothes on my back. I got food to eat. I'm blessed. And you can, if you're not careful, you can equate what God has blessed you with as God's approval of your life. So that when those things go away or when you see someone else who doesn't have them, you think, oh, God's taken those things away from them. They don't measure up. They don't. And God wants you to know that that is not how he works. That is not the basis on which you are blessed. What it really means is you are, you are properly relating to God. When the Bible says blessed is that person, it means properly relating to God, not a pantry full of groceries. Does that make sense? So when the Bible says you're blessed, it doesn't mean you're going to get stuff. It doesn't mean God's going to be like Santa Claus and do those things. It simply means you are going to be in right relationship with God. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has. So when you are properly relating to God, you are in a good place. And God is not causing your problems. He's blessing you and giving you and giving you right relationship with him by bringing you through those things. Interesting, in verse 13, it says, God is never tempted to do wrong, and he never tempts anyone else. If you've listened to me speak at all, you know that I, 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 I know that there are a lot of issues with the way the Bible is translated, and, and, and most of us don't have access to the original Hebrew and things like that. But if we did, or if you did, you would know that even though it talks about tempting, God doesn't tempt and God doesn't do these things, that word is, comes from several different words and we call it tempt. But here's what, what it says about that word. God is never tempted to do wrong and he doesn't tempt anyone else. The verse tempted is pirazo. That's the Hebrew word and it means to try or to prove either in a good or a bad sense to test by soliciting 
to sin. What, this, what James is saying is God is not testing you by trying to trick you into sinning. God doesn't do that. God doesn't do that. Guess, what, guess who does test, t- tempt you to sin? You do. You do. The truth, of my, the, the truth is that most of my problems, most of my issues come from, number one, the results of bad choices and sin. Jeremiah, I'm the problem. I am my problem. Jeremiah 17, 9. The human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? But I, the Lord, search the hearts and examine secret motives. I give people their due rewards according to what their actions deserve. Again, temptation comes from our own desires. And when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. The other thing is that my, uh, the other place my trials come from is the broken world that I live in. Friends, I'm going to give you this deeply theological statement. Stuff happens. Stuff happens. Pastor Steve, why have I gotten this terrible disease? Is God punishing me? Did I do something bad? Stuff happens. Stuff happens. We get sick. We live in a broken world. Things happen. We lose our jobs. We get hit by a car. Uh, The stock market goes crazy. All of those different things. Stuff happens. And we can't blame God and say, God did this to me. Bible says don't don't blame God for the things that happen. God doesn't cause everything, but he will use anything in your life to help you to become the person he wants you to be. For example, trials are allowed, but only to bring endurance to us. Romans 5.3, we can rejoice too when we run into troubles and trials, for we know that they help us to develop endurance, and endurance develops strength of character and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. Friends, God will allow you to go through things, but when it appears that he's doing these things to you, when it appears that he's making these things happen to you, James wants us to know that that is not the case. Things are not what they appear. God does not cause these things to happen. We live in a broken world. We make bad decisions. Things happen in our life, but here's the promise. God says, I will take those things and I will use them to mold you into a perfect person if you will let me do it. The bottom line is we need to stop trying to figure out how close we can get to blaming God for things when what we really need to do is to look for God, to God for the solution to the things that we are walking through. Derek Prince uh, some of you know who he is. Uh, I believe he's with the Lord now. Maybe he's still alive, a, a preacher. He said, you cannot bypass endurance and enter into the promises of God. You can come so far, but the completeness is only through endurance. And just when it seems impossible to hold on, that's the time to hold on. Don't give in. When it seems that God is causing your problems, he's not. Hold on. Draw near to him. Number five, things aren't always appear the way they appear when it appears that human life is cheap. Steve, what do you mean human life isn't cheap? Are you kidding me? People are shooting people all over the place. People are, people are doing all sorts of terrible things all over the world. And human life has become cheap. Man, made in the image of God. The Bible says created just a little bit lower than the angel. 
is doing all sorts of terrible things. Human life is as cheap as ever these days. Someone would just as soon shoot you for something that you do wrong. Worse than frontier justice these days. People are doing all sorts of terrible things because life is cheap. And so when it, uh, it appears that human life is cheap, here's what the Bible says, verse 16. Don't be misled, my dear brothers and sisters. Whatever is good and perfect is a gift coming down to us from God our Father who created lights in the heavens. He never changes or casts a shifting shadow. He chose to give birth to us by giving us his true word, word, and we, out of all creation, became his prized possession. Whales matter. Save the whales. The environment matters. We're stewards of what God gave us. Save the planet. But do not think for one moment that any of that or all of that is of greater value than human life. God created us in his image. And in this upside down world, human life is cheap. It's expendable. It's disposable. But God says we are his prized possession. Some of you in this room tonight need to hear this. It's important. You are not a failure. You are not a flop. You are not worthless. You have not failed so badly that God doesn't love you. You are his prized possession. You are. Human life is not cheap. We are God's prized possession. People are precious. Life is precious. Number six, things aren't always as they appear. When it appears, a little sin is no big deal. I should have said, I should have, this, I, we're going in order. I should have done this one first. But, so here's the thing. Verse 19, understand this, my dear brothers and sisters. You must be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to get angry. Human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. So get rid of all the filth and evil in your lives and humbly accept the word that God has planted in your heart, for it has the power to save your souls. Guys, James is writing to believers. He's writing to believers. We're not supposed to have this kind of stuff in our life, but we do. And James is saying, it may appear that you can be a believer and live that way, but you can't. Sin is a big deal. Colossians 3.5, so put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you have nothing to do goodness I should preach a whole sermon on this not trying to make you feel bad but I want you to know how serious God is about sin have nothing to do believer with sexual immorality impurity lust and evil desires shift gears don't be greedy For a greedy person is an idolater, worshiping the things of this world. Because of these sins, the anger of God is coming. You used to do these things when your life was still a part of this world, but now is the time to get rid of anger. Anger is a sin. God says through his word, now is the time, believer, to get rid of anger, rage, malicious behavior, slander, and dirty language. Steve, God has a problem with dirty language. I didn't write the Bible. I didn't make this up. 
Friends, there, there is so much in this world that seems like it's okay for us or seems like it's not a big deal. And God is saying, Christian, deal with that stuff in your life. Don't let that be a part of your life. And the reason that he does it is because he loves us and he knows that it robs us of what it is that he created us to be and wants us to enjoy. Now is the time to get rid of anger, rage, malicious behavior, slander, and dirty language. And by the way, don't lie to one another. For you have stripped off your old sinful nature and all its wicked deeds. Put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him. Stop trying to figure out how close you can skate to, to, on, to the, on the edge. I can't tell you how many people, Steve, is it okay for a Christian to do this? Hey, is it okay for... Stop asking. That's the wrong question. That's the wrong question. If you're looking for reasons to do wrong, then you're not living for God. Number seven, things are not as they appear when it appears that going to church is enough. I don't need to preach this part to you because you're here on a Wednesday night. May God give you extra ice cream in heaven for being here on a Wednesday night. But here's the thing, and I want to make sure you understand this. Christianity is not about going to church. It's not. We should go to church. We should come together and encourage one another and, 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 and praise God together and, and, and do all of those things. Help one another, strengthen one another. Yes, but that's not what... Christianity is all about. Christianity is about relationship. I didn't get married so that I could spend one hour a week on Sunday morning with my wife. Hey, honey, what a great life we're going to have. If you'll just be my wife, I'll give you an hour a week. What a great marriage we're going to have. Friends, it's about relationship. I, I don't know how much time is too much or how much time is enough, but I can tell you this. God needs to be a priority in our life beyond the one hour that we give him on a Sunday morning. You're here, so you're good, but, but it's, for, it's for everybody else. No, it's for everybody. It, it is. Daily interaction with God, reading your Bible and praying and worshiping and meditation, that's what relationship is about. And it's more than just going to church. We're, it, it, when it, if it appears that going to church is enough to be a Christian, We've missed the boat. There's so much more that God wants because what we receive from a daily walk with God is transformation into the very image of God. I don't want to stay the same. Do you? No. I want to be more and more and more like Jesus and you can't do that just by showing up on Sunday night or Sunday morning and probably not Wednesday night either. It's, there's more to it than that. Verse 22 and then I will finish. But don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you're only fooling yourself. For if you listen to the word and don't obey it, it's like glancing at your face in a mirror. You see yourself, you walk away, and you forget what you just looked like. But if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free, and if you do what it says and don't forget about what you heard, then God will bless you for doing it. If you claim to be religious, but don't control your tongue, you're fooling yourself, and your religion is worthless. Pure and genuine religion in the sight of God the Father means caring for orphans and widows in their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you. Do we have work to do? We most certainly do. Friends, there's never been a better time Never been a better time to understand that things are not as they appear to be. 
And that God says, yep, it looks like the world tells you this, and it looks like this is really a good thing, but I say, do these things, and you will live a wonderful life, and I will make you perfect, and I will give you endurance that will help you get to the end of this race that we're running. How many would like to get to the end of the race and win? Me too. All of these things tonight, though they don't appear to be the things we need to do, are the things that God says, if you'll do this, I will strengthen you, I will change you, and I will get you to where it is that you need to go. Ephesians 2.10 says, we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things that he planned for us a long time ago. And one of the ways that we do that is not looking at things the way they appear, but looking at things the way God says in his word that they are and then doing those things. May God help us to do it. Lord, for each one of us tonight, search our heart. All of us have something we need to work on. All of us have something we need to change. We want to be like Jesus. We want to be pleasing to you. So Lord, as we go from this place tonight, we pray that by your spirit, you'd continue to speak to us about these things. And as we, as we make the effort that we need to make in order to become more like Jesus, I thank you that we can look forward to becoming what it is that you've promised that we can be. God, help us by the power of your spirit to do it tonight. We pray in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen. Thank you for joining us for tonight's service. If you would like to talk with someone about what you've heard, please visit our website at faith.ag or call us at 239-543-2700. If you're in the Fort Myers area and don't already have a church home, you're invited to join us for Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. We also gather on Sunday mornings at 8.15 and 10.45 a.m. Faith Assembly is located at 7101 Bayshore Road. Join us again next time for Wednesday night at Faith Assembly. Faith Assembly's Wednesday night is a production of Faith Assembly Media Tech, North Fort Myers, Florida.